series that every church has to have. Well, uh, I want to encourage you in this. One out of the five weeks is going to talk about your wealth. One out of the five weeks. What we're going to do is, I've called this series, as you see in your bulletin, Generosity, Living Out of the Overflow of Life. It's looking and saying that every bit of who we are and what we do, how we steward our lives, what we do uh, with our very souls, every bit of it in a full, complete, holistic way is driven and understood only by our source of life. Where do we go for life? How do we understand life? And is it a, a trickle that comes in or is it something that's flowing from us and we live out of that overflow? I was laughing uh, with Lisa. I was working on the sermon this week and um, having a good week. We had been you know, moving and getting some stuff done and we had some really good preliminary thoughts on this. And then I got sidetracked a little bit uh, with some things and then I was coming back to the sermon and I promise you at that moment I didn't feel like I was living from the overflow. <laughs> It was like, okay, where's that stream, God? Where's that big rushing water thing that you talk about in Scripture? And so often you feel that same way. Because what happens in our lives is you are presented with the imperative. I'm going to go back to some thoughts that we had uh, many, many months ago, even a year or so ago when we talked. You are presented with the imperative. And the imperative in Scripture is this. Live generously. Give a tithe. Care for the poor. Go to the prisons. Help with tiny hands. Minister in the nursery. Help in the church. Help and do other things. You're given the imperative to go and do uh, these things. Live for Jesus. Don't do this and don't do that. And you start there. And what happens is you begin maybe a little bit strong. You, you come out of the gates and you've got a lot of enthusiasm. But you realize very rapidly in that you don't have the energy and the resources to complete the task that's laid out in front of you and you get weary and you grow weary and eventually you either become jaded and bittered towards the church and you say the church is just about wanting me to do things and you leave or you stay in the church and you're just tired and you're frustrated and you look around and you go how is it that I keep working and working and working and most of the folks here aren't doing a doggone thing. You fall into that 10 and 90 rule or 80-20 rule where 20% or 10% of the people do most of the work uh, in that. And you've heard Chuck Swindoll joke around about uh, what the church is like. So the church is like a University of Tennessee football game where there's 100,000 people. Oh, it's like there's 12 or 22 kids on the field desperately in need of rest and 100,000 people desperately in need of exercise. And uh, so that's what you feel like in the church. You're one of the 22 on the field just going, folks, Anybody? Anybody else up there want to come in and help? So we're not going to start with the imperative. We're going to get there. What we're going to start with is the word and the idea of the indicative, which means this. It's a de declaration or a statement of who you are. It, it establishes who you are. It establishes the truth of the relationship that we have with God uh, through the work of Jesus Christ. It establishes a source of our life. It establishes all of that. And it's in the establishment and the belief and the strong conviction that the indicative is true that we then move to the imperative. Because of this, 
therefore go and do this. Because of what has happened to you in Jesus Christ, because of the work of Christ in you, because of the freedom that you have in Christ, because of the wealth that you've been given through Jesus Christ, because of all of that you've been given by him, therefore now live a generous life. So does that make sense? where we're starting today. I want us to start back uh, of what has happened to us, what's going on within us. And we're going to start uh, at a passage that may seem uh, a little bit odd uh, to you of where to start, but it's from Jeremiah uh, chapter 2. And as I've shared with you before, I love the Old Testament. I think it is one that is so lost in the church today, and there's things that can be learned, uh, especially in the prophets. And so we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 2, uh, looking at verses 1 through 13. Were we able to get them up there this week? Yay! There we go. This is the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me, that is to Jeremiah, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt, and disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Pause for a moment. Do you see the picture? What Jeremiah is saying, and God is looking at Israel, and looking at the church, and looking at his people, us as Christians, going, oh, I remember the days when we walked so intimately together. When I led you out, and we were close together, and you were flourishing in my midst, and you came out of the gate so strong. And anybody who would attack you and anybody who it says they're fed upon you, they incurred guilt because I protected you and I was your God. We had a good thing going, to put it in the vernacular. What happened then is what he begins now in verse 4. He says, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. And when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that did not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend for cross to the coasts of Cyprus and sea or to send to Kadar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. So an interesting place to start our series, but one of sources. What is the source of your life is the primary question that we're going to ask and investigate today. 
Where is it that you find your hope? What is the springhead? Uh, Where is it that your life begins and the place that you come back to regularly to find that refreshment, to find that nourishment, to find that safety, to find sanctuary? Where is it that you go to find life? What's your source in your life? And the premise that I'm building off of that question is this, and here's the first point, if you would. Your ability to be generous in your life is directly related to the source of your life. Your ability to be generous. And when I say generous, again, your thoughts are going to the wallet and to the pocketbook. I'm talking about being generous just in your life. Being a generous person with the totality of who you are. That you're generous in a way of listening to others. That you're generous in the manner in which you engage the needs of others. You're generous in your kindness to those who are around you. You're generous in the way that you deal, and uh, acutely to me, deal with your animals and your pets. Uh, You're generous in your hospitality. You're generous in all of these things. You're generous in your pocketbooks as well with your time and your treasures and your talents, to use the old uh, alliteration there. So all of that, how that comes about, directly relates to the source of your life. And so the question then has to become, what is your source? Now, if you've grown up in the church or you've been around the church a little bit, you're going to give the right answer. I promise you. I've asked you. I've asked some of you privately. I've asked others in Bible studies. I've asked you uh, in these kind of gatherings. And you're going to give the right answer. And do you want to hear the right church answer to that question, what is your source? You want to know what the answer is? You want to go with me? Who thinks they know it? Jesus. Yeah, that's the right answer. And all of you would say that. Oh, Bill, Jesus is my source. He is my source. Jesus, God, is my source. My source of life is God alone. And I'm not saying that you don't believe that. I'm not saying that that's not a true statement for you. But what I want to do is to ask you to do this. Set aside for a moment that underlying, deeply held conviction that Jesus and God is the only legitimate source of life for you. That that is your place to go back to. Because here's what's going to happen. On a day-to-day and a moment-by-moment basis, do you ever find yourself going to another source? And if you do, then whatever it is that just came to your mind is functioning as your Savior at that moment. Whatever it is that you run to other than Jesus is acting in your life as a functional Savior or source at that point of your life. Now, it may not be the overarching all the time you go there, but there are moments when crisis comes, when difficulties come, when difficulties, uh, when, when disappointments enter in, how do you respond? Where do you go? And so the pre- what I'm going to say to us as Christians is this, it should and always should be Christ. Is that really the case in your life? Always, every time difficulty comes, you go to Jesus only? If you do, awesome, way to go. I don't know how to relate to you. But if you're like me, and like a lot of other folks that I know, I know this about myself. I believe in the scriptures to be true. I've given my life to Christ. 
and I stake the claim of my hope of eternity in him alone, that he is my source in all of that. But ask those who are around me, who know me pretty well, that there's a good bit of inconsistency in how that's played out. That when things really get difficult, sometimes we go elsewhere. Now I'm going to switch from speaking about me personally to in general. Okay, did you get that? Because everything I'm going to list here, I don't want you to go, good, glory, <laughs> Bill does that? <laughs> you know, I do some of them, but I'm going to let you know which ones uh, on that. The others I got from you. Um, when you've had a particularly hard day and you come home, what's the first thing you reach for? Is it your Bible? Is it to sit down quietly with the Lord? Or is it a bottle? Just to take the edge off. Had a long day. And I just need to take the edge off. Or maybe it's this. Those wonderful blessings from the Lord, which the Lord has filled your house with, uh, that run around and they dirty up all of the things that you've spent so much time cleaning. Uh, that when they aren't quite acting in the manner in which you wanted them to act, and there's not quite the serenity that you want in your home, how do you respond to them? What's your source at that moment? Jesus, would you be my strength in this? Would you be my source to love these little image bearers in the way that you want me to love them? And would you help me show the grace and mercy that I've been shown because I'm going to apply all the profound truths of the cross to my life at this very moment? Or are you going to go to another source, which is something like this? Would you just shut up? And go to your room and just do what I told you to do. I just need you to tip your hat and move on. Two different sources? Maybe. For some of you, especially men, when life gets a little bit unwound and gets difficult or you're challenged in your work or you're challenged in the intimacy of your relationships with your wives or your children or you're feeling exposed that maybe you don't have what it takes or you're not convinced that you have what it takes, that the source of your hope and life at that moment becomes a computer screen. And you, like 60% of all men in America, have say that they're addicted to pornography. And they medicate themselves because that's their source. Or maybe if you're a woman and you're feeling not so convinced of your beauty that you head out to the outlets or you head out to the beautician or you head out to the surgeon and you say, I'm going to find my source of life there. Is it possible? All I'm trying to do is establish the possibility that maybe we run to things other than to Christ as our source. Would you agree with me that we have those tendencies? So if we have those tendencies within us, we need to examine them. We need to examine them in light of what the scripture says. And so if we're called to live from the overflow of our source, if the source of our life is something other than Jesus, I promise you this, there won't be an overflow. And so what you constantly run back to is a bankruptcy. You come back to a checkbook that's empty. You come back to a place that has nothing in it. And so you, you're digging around and you're searching for it. Or you go out and you find another one that temporarily has some life in it. And so you go and you suck it dry. And then you keep going and move on from source to source to source. But if you're coming to Christ, he says, I'm a source that will never, ever, ever disappoint you. It will never leave you dry. It will always 
reinvent itself. It will always refresh itself. It will always give more than you could have imagined. So much to the point that in John 7 it says, these streams of living water will flow out of you and will nourish all of those who are around you. And so I need us to take for a moment, using this passage of Scripture, a second to examine really the lunacy of going after any source other than Christ. Listen to the words that uh, Jeremiah had uh, here as we begin to compare sources. If you're looking uh, for a second point, I guess that would be it. This is more of a free flow sermon today. But looking at and comparing our different sources. He begins in verse 9, and he's just come off of this, you were walking with me, we had an awesome relationship, we were together in the desert, I brought you into the land flowing with milk and honey, I brought you out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery, and I did all of these things, and I set you up here, and things were going so well, and then all of a sudden, what happened? You can see that the emotion within the Lord In verse 5, I'll step you back for a second. In verse 5, God's going, what wrong did your fathers find in me? Did they find some deficiency in me? Did they look to me and in some indictment of my character and of my goodness and of my resources, did they find something in me that was so lacking that they had to run after other gods? I mean, this is where scripture, you need to read it in such a way that there is this incredible personal God, this father and lover of our souls who has given everything for us, who has made us the absolute center of his attention. And he's coming and he's saying, what happened? Why did you run after something else other than me? What lie are you believing about me? And what truth about me are you not believing And what lie about these other sources are you believing about them and not knowing fully what they're like? And he said, why is it that you ran after them? And then he comes in further astonishment. He says, do this. Do a case study. Go and run to the pagan nations. Go to Kedar. Go to all the pagan nations around and ask them if they've ever changed gods. Go to those who worship Baal. And say, you ever gotten so frustrated with Baal that you just bailed on him? That you just left him? You know what you're going to find in a pagan world, in a pagan worldview? Incredible consistency. He said, what has happened in Israel would shock the pagan nations around the world. He said, it would shock your watching neighbors. That here you are, and you've come into this land, and all of them are astonished because this little ragtag group of people who had no warriors, and they had no way of defending themselves, they came in, and there was this pillar of smoke during the day, and there was this pillar of fire at night, and the Red Sea opened, and it closed, and Pharaoh was destroyed, and then they went in, and they were there, and all of a sudden, after 40 years of wandering, as they came in, then all of a sudden, this people led by Joshua, they marched around Jericho, this strongly held city, 
and they blew their trumpets and the walls collapsed around them and everybody shook in their wake and they were just coming in and they were destroying the giants of the land and they were taking it over and they were flourishing and they were multiplying and God was doing incredible things and they established these kings who were there in their midst and King David and King uh, Solomon and all of this stuff was going on and in the midst of all of it and all the blessings that God was getting they said hey I got an idea Let's follow Molech and sacrifice our children alive on the spit to him, and maybe he'll bring us life. Let's send our children out in the fertility rites of Baal and of Asherah and have them raped in the field so that maybe Baal and Asherah will come together in their sexual way, and they will come together in such a way that through that we'll have fertility for our ground. That sounds like a great idea. And we're going to forsake this God who brought us out, and we're going to turn and we're going to move on to other gods. The followers of Molech and the followers of Baal would have gone, we've never seen a people like you. No one ever changes gods. That's what God's saying. Why did you leave me? It's lunacy. He said, and it's even further lunacy, because if you examine for a moment what you left and what you ran to, it should break your heart. He says there in verse 12, be appalled, O heavens, and this be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. He's saying, what has happened on the grand scale of back here in Israel's time, but what happens at every moment in our lives when we run from God, the source of true life, and we put our hope and our trust in something else, some other source of life, some other God, some other idol, whenever we do that, he's saying you should be shocked and utterly amazed at yourselves that you're so short-sighted. Because here first is what you've left. My people have committed two evils. First evil that they committed, verse 13, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Descriptive, poetic imagery that he gives. They've forsaken me, God. And he could have said, you've just forsaken me, and that could have been enough, right? He said, you've just forsaken me and the theology of me and the knowledge of me and the person of who I am. But he said, I know that you think in pictures, I know that you think in images. I know that you need something more tangible. That's why he gives us the Lord's Supper. So we can touch bread and we can drink wine. And we can go, ah, this is body and bread. This is the the beauty of what it is. That's why we come together. Do you have to come together to worship God? No, you can worship God individually. But he says, I give you pictures and images so that you can come together and see the beauty in a tangible way. And so he gave, he says this, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Now, for a people who lived in an arid land, for people who lived with lots of deserts and lots of wildernesses, what is the most important thing in an agrarian culture that they needed to have? Water. They had plenty of it around, didn't they? They had the Mediterranean Sea, right? They had the Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee. They had all kinds of water, right? That wasn't any good. Go drink some salt water today. See how that works for you. Actually, children, never drink salt water, (laughs) ever drink salt water, because it looks like it's going to nourish you, but it makes you crazy and eventually kills you. 
And so what this agrarian culture needed was water. And so he uses an image that they would have gotten. And he said, I am the fountain of just any kind of water. He lavishes it on. I'm the fountain of life-giving water, living water. I am the fountain. I am that which springs up on its own. You don't have to do anything to get this spring and fountainhead to do anything. It just comes up naturally. Its essence is to nourish. Its essence is to flow. Its essence is to keep going out of the depth of the aquifers that are underneath, that it keeps flowing out and flowing out, and everywhere it goes, it nourishes. Have you ever been or seen a picture of of Egypt and the Nile River? Egypt is dry, and on a map, it's brown, but there's that river that goes, and that river just a little bit to this side and a little bit to this side is incredibly lush and green. And he's saying, I'm that kind of place for you. I am that fountain for you that you don't have to do anything to gain. You just have to go and drink from it. All you have to do is bend down and lap it up. No effort on your part to make it. You don't have to conjure it up. Hey, spring, it's always there for you. You don't have to manipulate it. You don't have to cry out to it. You don't have to do any pagan ceremonies to it. You don't have to do anything for it. You just have to go enjoy it. John Piper writes extensively on these ideas uh, when he talks, and he says the best way to to really glorify God is to enjoy him, and the best way to enjoy him is to go and bask it. If you are thirsty and you're parched and you're arid and you see a fountain of water flowing out of the ground, how are you going to approach it? Cautiously? Heavens no. You throw yourself at it. You lap it up and you tell your friends about it. And you're going, come on in, the water's fine. You come in and you just swim in it and you drink it deeply and there's such a deep and profound satisfaction and you're going to tell everybody else around you to come to the living water and to that fountain that they don't have to even express an effort to gain. He said, that's what you had. And to you, the Christian, and to you, the church, that's what you have, present tense. That is what God is offering you. He's saying, I am that source for you, the source of life. I am the thing that can spring up and you will never, ever exhaust me. I won't run dry in that there's no need for conservation efforts on this spring. This spring is eternal and it flows fully in your life. And if you are one who is wandering and you're wondering and you're searching, that's the essence of the Christian faith. It's saying, come and drink and be satisfied with him. Because I know this much about you. If you're here today and you're investigating this Christian faith, you're not satisfied with everything else. I know it. You can't be. Because they don't offer true life. And so he's saying, you've been offered this, and who would want to leave it? Would you want to leave that picture? No, of course not. And even worse, he says, but you've left that picture, and guess what you've gone and run to? You've gone and run to cisterns that are hewn with human hands, and they're leaking. You know what a cistern is? It's not even a well. A well, you dig down into the, into the ground, and it finds a source, and the well fills up, and you reach down, and you pull it out fascinating in the mountains of North Carolina to have uh, the folks who come by with the, the little rods and the sticks and they find these wells and they dig down and they find the water in between the granite rocks and it springs up and it's there and they create a well. We had one at our house. Uh, that's how our house in the mountains was, uh, was provided for. 
But you had to do a lot of work to get that. A cistern, that was even a step beyond. A cistern was you had to hewn down into the rock. And then you had to go down into this rock and you had to sort of plaster the inside of it. And the only way for a cistern to be filled, do you know how a cistern is filled? You go over to the source of water and you put it on your shoulders or you put it on your back and then you dump it into the cistern and it fills up. And then you keep filling it up and filling it up and filling it up. Why do you have to keep filling it up every single day? Because it normally leaks. And you use it up and so you have to keep going back. And he's saying, do you see the lunacy of what you're doing? You are running away from a source that promises you ultimate life. And you are running over to a cistern that is muddy and nasty. And at the base of it, later on, interestingly enough, with Jeremiah... As part of his punishment, he was cast into a cistern, and it says that he sunk down into it, into the mud, sort of that pluff mud that you look like it's nice and sturdy, and you step out of your kayak, and you find you're up to your thighs. Yeah, that is at the bottom. And then when the water's been sitting there for a while, what does stagnant water in an arid place do? Ooh, larvae love to come there, and mosquitoes and all kinds of stuff loves to come there. And so God is painting this picture for us today, and he's painting it for you today. And he's saying this, which source do you want? Do you want the source that is freely offered to you, that offers you life and freedom and health and all of the good things of heaven? Do you want that source which will truly nourish you and satisfy your deepest desire and need? Or are you going to continue to labor over here and hewn out your cisterns and come over to them because they promise you something that they will never, ever deliver? Now, cisterns, I think, are very similar to sirens in this way. They call out with a beauty and a voice. And they promise you things. You know what the cisterns of our society promise you? If you have wealth and you have money and you have status, you're going to be fine. Come and keep drinking from it. If you're living your life on a popularity pole, are you exhausted yet? Are you tired of walking into every single room and wondering if people like you or not? Wondering if your value is what the other people think of you. That's a cistern, because you're going to keep coming back to it and refilling it again and refilling it. Maybe for some of you it's grades. Maybe for some of you it's who you're dating. Maybe for some of you it's what you drive. Maybe that cistern for you is where you live. Maybe uh, it's how you look. I don't know what the cistern is, but you do. And your homework today is to identify the cisterns that you're running to. What are those cisterns for you? They're different and unique for me, and I have my own. I have a good friend named Ron Miller, and Ron and I even now text one another. And the text oftentimes goes like this. If I'm having a particular bad day or even just not even a bad day, sometimes it's interesting. The, the messed up way our brains work is even when we're having a really incredibly good day, we still sometimes want to run to the cistern, to the addiction, to the, the power over there. And I remember, and I write to Ron regularly, and I'll say this. It's very simple, but it's our code. Cisterns are strong today. Pray for me. What do you think I'm saying to him? I'm saying, Ron, you're my friend, my brother in Christ, and I know that you know what I'm talking about. So I need you to pray that I would run to the right source of my life that I would run to Christ and he would be my source and I would be able to identify and dismantle. No, although you sound pretty good over there, I'm not running to you. I'm running to the true source of life. 
So for you today, I want to ask you the question, what are your cisterns? You all have them. What are your cisterns? And are you willing to give them up? And one of the ways that you'll be willing to give them up is this. Take the time to expose them for what they really are. A counselor friend of mine used to ask us, and we've got another counselor friend who uses it, we would come and I would talk to him and share some things, and his response was constantly, so how's that working for you? So here's my question to you today. Your pride, your popularity, your wealth, your status, your smarts, your looks, your alcohol, your prescription drugs, your pornography, your anger, whatever it is, how's that working for you? Is it satisfying you? Is it really nourishing your soul? Or is it leaving you absolutely barren, deep down? Because here's what God wants for you. He says, I want to fill you today. I want to pour my life into you. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. All you who are tired of carrying the buckets, trying to fill the cisterns of your life. All of you who've been worn down under the false promises of those cisterns and those idols and those other gods. All of you who are absolutely down on your knees, that you can relate to the deer that pants for streams of living water, that you can relate to the one who is just walking through the valley of the shadow of death and is scared, that you can relate to the one who sees the fire and sees the water. And Christ is saying to you, come to me and drink from me and you'll never thirst again. You'll find rest for your soul. So much more we could say together on that. But I want to encourage you today on this. If you want to talk to somebody who understands cisterns, my office is always open. There are people in here, our elders, and our women who are, love the Lord and who are willing to wrestle. Do not ever be ashamed that you're wrestling with cisterns. All of us are. And don't let it be your private war. But step out and you'll be amazed at the power that's lost by them. When you step into the light and you say to somebody else, the cisterns are calling me today. Would you help me go to the right source? And then from that, like I said, and we'll end here. In John 7 it says, come and let the streams of living water flow out of you. And as you go then, guess what? You become a source of nourishment and of life to others who are around you. In your home in your business, in your school, on your team, whatever it is. Let's pray. God, first, forgive us when we, like Israel of old, turn to other gods and we run after them and we think they're going to give us life. God, forgive us for that, that we've forsaken you, the source of true life, and run to other. And God, there are some here today who are totally captured by the power of those other cisterns. They don't know that there's a hope 
that the power can be broken. They are afraid to taste of your water because they, they don't understand how good it is. And all they know is the bitterness and the poison of the water they've drank for all these years. God, would you come and draw them? Would you woo them to yourself? Would you be that lover of their souls which entices them and brings them in and then avows yourself to them, never to leave them or forsake them? Overcome them today, God. And would you refresh all of us? And as a church, would we flow out to the world around us the beauty of living water from you, our fountainhead and our source? This we pray in Christ's name and to his glory. Amen.